our communion series is uh, in a new chapter of Colossians. We'll be in Colossians chapter 2 today. And before I read the text, I want to give you a, just a brief summary of Colossians 1. It's 29 verses, but we had seven messages on it. We uh, talked about how Paul uh, commended the faith and defended the divinity of Christ early on. And then we ended the chapter with uh, three aspects of our relation to Christ. It was uh, Christ in place of us, us in place of Christ, and Christ in us. So Paul had gone into this uh, really in-depth presentation of how we relate to Christ. And uh, Colossians, of course, the whole New Testament is all about Christ. It amazes me that churches can uh, lose sight of that fact as they go liberal. But as we move into Colossians 2, you again see the, a threefold aspect of Christ. And I'm kind of surprised that when I look at the different versions of the Bible, I see none of them use these headings. But yet, it, after reflecting on it, it seemed kind of obvious. And so the first 15 verses break up nicely into five-verse blocks. And so in the first block, Christ is our treasure. In the next one, Christ is our master. And in the next one, Christ is our savior. And so today's message, we'll talk about Christ as our treasure. And so I'll read chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Uh, Paul is not unacquainted with getting personal in his letters. He shares a lot personally. And so I think that it is appropriate uh, for pastors to share personally as well. And so at times when I've talked with pastors who I just don't feel are connecting with people, that's what I've encouraged them to do. You don't want to have the message become all about you, but yet you want to be free to use your own experience in sharing the gospel with people. And Paul does that here. In verse 1, he says, I want. He speaks of the great conflict I have, and he speaks of my face. Very personal, using these personal pronouns. And then in verses 4 and 5, he says, this I say. I am absent, but then he says, I am with you. So he speaks of being absent uh, from the, in the, in, uh, with them concerning the flesh, but present with them in spirit. He gets very personal with them. Now, we know, and if you've read uh, the New Testament epistles that Paul wrote, you know he's very passionate for Christ. I don't know that there's ever a man who lived that was as passionate for Christ as Paul was. Just extremely articulate, extremely passionate. And yet, what I think can be lost because he's so passionate for Christ is his passion for people. Uh, he was, a, I think, a people person. Yes, he was an egghead. He was all, all intellectual. And yet he was also very, very devoted to people. And so 
he might have had trouble relating to people at time, I think. He might have had trouble. He, he, he wasn't uh, the, the overly charismatic individual that immediately connects with people, yet he worked really hard to relate to people and to present to them Christ, the perfect Christ, and really the only means for them to connect with God. In verse 2 of this little five-verse section, he presents his goal with these folks that he's wanting to connect to. He says this, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all richnesses of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. He has these noble goals. And then uh, later in verse 5, he rejoices to see their good order, though he's absent uh, from them in the flesh, yet he rejoices to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So he's getting personal with them, and he's encouraging them. He has these high goals for these people in Laodicea and Colossae. Now, all of that that I've just mentioned is not my primary point in these first five verses. I just wanted to let you know that. We don't want to get lost in Christ because Paul really does minister to these people. And so... What I want to focus on is what I titled the text, and that is Christ, our treasure. So that's obviously in verse 3. So he speaks of the Father and of Christ, and then this phrase is in reference to Christ. In whom, in other words, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Not just some, but all. Last week in the uh, intro to worship, I spoke of a book I'd been reading, and it talked about gold rushes in the Old West. And I mentioned three in particular. The first was, and really the biggest one, and the one that we almost know, is the California Gold Rush of 1849. And so then a few years later, like eight or nine years later, there was the Pikes Peak Gold Rush in Colorado. And then within four or five years, there was the Montana Gold Rush uh, up in what was called Alders Gulch. Tens of thousands, 100,000 or more men from all over the world flooded to these places. Now, in addition to these, there were other lesser gold rushes all over the West. And so you had tens of thousands of men flood into these places looking for gold, seeking their fortunes. And yet, some were successful at this. I told you that those that moved to California, 20% of them died within a year. And so not all were successful, but some were fabulously successful and others were modestly successful. Now, really, at that time, across the country, if you were just basically a worker and you're making common wages, you probably weren't making more than $15 or $20 in a month. So not even a dollar a day, maybe a dollar a day, you know, because you're working, even then you're working six days a week, not five like we enjoy. So these people were used to making low wages, but here they are mining, panning for gold, and the cost of the supplies in these remote areas was so high that you were just sustaining yourselves by making $10 or $20 a week. I mean, you were just getting by because everything you had to pay for was so expensive. But over time, if you were successful, you could accumulate quite a nest egg. You could accumulate $1,000 in gold. 
Now, you might want to continue there, just like the gamblers do at the gambler's table. You might want to stay there and more, more, more. But some of them got wise. They're like, no, I want to get out of here. Well, it's not so easy to get out of these remote areas with your gold and your life. Because the first person you tell that that's your plan, suddenly word spreads. And now they're all on the lookout for you. And so many people would be killed trying to escape these gold mine areas with their gold. So they got wise. Well, I'm not going to take my gold with me. I'm going to bury it. I'm going to come back for it someday when the heat isn't on me. So now they have what instead of their gold? They have a little reminder that is called a treasure map. So they've made a little map to their gold. They're going to come back someday. So now they go off in this carriage. I don't have my gold. I don't have any money. No, don't look at me. They have this map instead. And on the map, they have a little thing, a little X that marks where they've buried their gold. X marks the spot. Now, for Levi's sake, I've got to share that uh, he said I don't use enough movie illustrations recently in a Facebook post. <laughs> and so if you remember one of the Raiders of the Lost Ark films, there was the one, The Last Crusade, and in it, he, uh, he tells his class at the beginning, because he's a treasure you know, seeker, but he tells them, he said, now you don't find maps with X's on them, and you certainly don't find the X marks the spot. And then later in the movie, of course, he's standing in this library and he sees that X marks the spot where they need to dig for treasure. Now, let me twist this around a little bit. Do you know in Christianity what X means? It's a Greek letter. It means Christ. It has come, it, early on in our, our Christian age, it came to mean Christ. That's, I talked a while ago about that. We shouldn't be offended when we see Xmas. You know, some people are offended. They think Christ has been eliminated from the word Christmas when they see Xmas. No, it hasn't. That is Christ. That, you know, uh, a couple years ago, I am N. At first I saw that, I was like, what does that mean? It just didn't mean anything to me. And then, through discovery, I found out, oh, that means a lot. That symbol, that symbol on, painted on those Christian doors meant life or death for those people. And so that symbol was important. The X throughout Christendom has been important. It means a lot. And so what's interesting, even ironic, I would say, is that all of these maps have little X's on them that reflect great wealth, great treasure, that if only you could find what they're referring to, you go find this treasure. But yet it really also means Christ. So if only you weren't looking for that earthly treasure, you ought to be seeking the true meaning of that act. You ought to be seeking heavenly treasure. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we come to the table, one of the questions that we really all have to ask, ask ourselves regularly is, where is our treasure? Is this your treasure? Do you enjoy your treasure? Do you spend time with your treasure? Or is your treasure somewhere else on this earth? Because this, of course, is a symbol of Christ in heaven. That's where Christ is. That's where our treasure is. That's where Christ is. He's our treasure. This merely points us to that treasure, makes us 
familiar, more familiar, much more familiar with that treasure. So when we come to the table, you really are called to sacrifice earthly treasure. If your heart is set on it, if it is distracting you from the true spiritual treasure that you ought to be seeking, you ought to cast it aside. And all of us, all of us can be tempted every week to do that, to cast aside the true treasure and seize upon some false treasure that wants to steal our hearts away. Lord, we thank you that you are treasure, that you are true, and that you have all of the treasure of wisdom and knowledge in you. And that wisdom and knowledge leads to, uh, and that eternal life you have with you in heaven now. And we enjoy it in these physical bodies on this earth, but we look forward to that time when it will be made permanent and we will be made holy. We thank you, Lord, that now we come to this table to thank you for that and to cast aside all of the false treasures that might fill our hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.